Join me in John 17. In John 17, always a privilege to open God's word. And we are coming again to the high priestly prayer of Jesus that he prays for his people. And we are finding ourselves in verses 16 through 19 this morning. John 17, verses 16 through 19. I'm going to read the text, set our minds as we begin. Jesus prays this. Verse 16, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. And you can stop there. So now Jesus' second request, the second request he brings before his father on behalf of his people. And you remember the timing, we are only moments away from Jesus entering Gethsemane, being betrayed and arrested, and then led to Pilate in order to be crucified. And the request that Jesus brings before his father at this moment is a request for mission, mission, of being, verse 18, sent into the world. This is a preparatory prayer that Jesus prays now before he commands his apostles in Matthew 28 to go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Go into the world for this purpose. He will command that. He now prays for it here. This is Jesus' prayer that undergirds what he will tell these men in Luke 24, that repentance for forgiveness of sins must be proclaimed. The question is to who? Answer to all the nations, to the world. That's your mission, man. That's our mission. That's our purpose. Why? Because these apostles are witnesses of these things. They are testifiers of his gospel. In Acts chapter one, we see the same commissioning. Jesus says, you shall be my witnesses, my gospel testifiers. I'm sending you on a mission, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth, to the world. It is your main duty. It is to bring my gospel to this fallen world. But Jesus says here, before I send you, I will pray for you and I will ask my father to equip you and ready you to steal you in my gospel. Use Jesus' words in verse 17, to sanctify you, to set you apart so that you can continue my mission after I leave. In fact, notice the connection between Christ being sent from heaven to earth and then Jesus sending us into the world. Notice verse 18, as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Jesus' second request is for us to carry on his gospel mission. Not to die on the cross, that was Jesus' mission, but to proclaim the cross, to make Jesus' gospel mission the pattern of our lives, our goals, our purposes. Now, you remember what we looked at last 
week. Jesus's first request was this, request number one. Jesus prayed for the eternal protection of our faith. He prayed for the eternal protection of our faith. Notice verse 11. Jesus says, holy, transcendent, omnipotent, Father, caring Father, loving Father, I come before you and ask you to keep them, preserve them, defend them, shelter them in your name by the power of your name. And it was a needed prayer because as we saw last week, this evil world system wants nothing more than to destroy our faith and silence our witness to Christ's gospel. We live in an evil world system that is controlled by the ruler of this world, by the God of this world. So verse 15, Jesus asks his father to keep them, same word, protect them, shelter them from not an evil society. He's sending us into the world, into an evil society but to protect them from the evil one, the God behind this evil world system. Protect them. Protect them from their adversary, the devil, who is right now prowling around seeking someone to devour, to destroy our faith. Protect them from the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. So Jesus is praying for our eternal security for his father to preserve our faith. Father, do not allow Satan to ever reclaim any of his former children. Do not allow a believer's faith to utterly fail. Keep your guarding hand closed tight so that no one, nothing can pluck them out of your hand. And this is where Jesus begins this high priestly prayer for us. Why? Why does he begin there? Because of this second request he is going to ask. Because he is going to pray for the Father to send us with his gospel into the evil one's world. So that's our mission, that's our calling. Protect their faith because I'm sending them into a world that hates Christ and thus hates us. Look at verse 14. I have given them your word. I have planted my gospel within their hearts. I have shattered Satan's hold on them. I've rescued them from the domain of darkness. I've transferred them to a new kingdom. I've given them your word and thus they serve a new Lord. They have a new father. And because of that, Satan is furious. Verse 14, this is why the world... Satan's domain of evil. This is why the world has hated them. Satan's hatred for Christ spills over into his hatred for us. So he must pray for protection before he sends us out. And this is not new information. Notice back to chapter 15, 15, 18. Remember what he told the apostles, the world hates you. Why? Because you're no longer belonging to the God of this world. Verse 19, if you were of the world, if you still belong to Satan, the world would love you. 
It would accept you. It would love its own. But because you are not of the world, because I chose you out of the world, you belong to a new family. Because of this, the world hates you. And thus you must, verse 20, remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, which they did, which they will, if that is true, they will, here's the promise, they will persecute you. Drop down to chapter 16, verse two. It's anger that shows itself in a variety of ways. One of those ways, they will make you outcasts from the synagogue. They will try to silence you by isolating you. Well, that's happening today, right? And the world will even threaten physical harm. In some cases, they will even cause your death. They will even try to kill you. So that was the promise. And now here in chapter 17, Jesus offers his prayer because that is coming. We are no longer of this world. Christ has given us a new nature. He has given us his spirit and he has given us his gospel. And the problem is when we proclaim the gospel, we testify that the world's deeds are what? Are evil. And so this is why Jesus prays in verse 11, holy father, keep them in your name. Keep them from the evil one, because he knows the promised hatred that is coming. He knows the supernatural enemy we now face. And thus his prayer and his promise is this. We don't need to fear. We do not need to fear because we are protected by the power of God. And Satan is powerless to snatch us from the Father's hand. No matter how hard he tries, no matter what threat he issues, we are safe. We are safe. That was the first request. The apostles hear Jesus pray this. And again, they need to hear this. He needs to start here because of request number two. We'll focus on this morning. Request Number two, Jesus prays for our evangelistic mission in this world. He prays for our evangelistic mission in this world. Here's the connection. God's divine protection, God's divine protection must not lead to apathy. His protection must not lead to withdrawal from this world. Yes, the world will hate us, but we must not circle the Christian wagons and cloister ourselves in the safety of our church walls. That's not the prayer here. That's not our calling or our purpose. Jesus prays for the protection of our faith so that he can send us into the very world that hates us. That's our calling. Welcome to the Christian life. Send us into the world where the ruler of the world wants to devour our faith. That's the connection between these first two prayers. And as Jesus develops the second request, the second prayer, there are a few requests that fall under it, two specific requests that he offers. 
The first is, if he's gonna send us into the world, the first is, he's praying for our gospel fidelity, our gospel faithfulness. We would not waver in our commitment and loyalty to his gospel. And then second, he prays for our gospel boldness, our gospel faithfulness, our gospel boldness. So if we are gonna carry out our gospel work, then we must cling to the true gospel with all of our might. We must not let it go. And we must proclaim it with boldness and clarity and love unafraid of the consequences that might come our way. Let's look at each of these requests. Request number one here, Jesus prays for our gospel fidelity our gospel faithfulness. Notice verse 17. Jesus asked his father to sanctify them in the truth. Now, normally when we read the word sanctify, our knee-jerk interpretation is to think of our progressive growth in holiness. Certainly that's one definition of sanctification. And often we point to this verse right here. And we show how we grow in our Christ-likeness. We grow by the truth, by reading and knowing and applying the truth of God's word. And that is true. We see that throughout the Bible. God's word is what the spirit uses to grow us into the image of Jesus. Romans 12, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed transformed into the image of Christ, grow in holiness, how? By the renewing of your mind. That is true. 1 Peter 2, like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word. Why? So that you might grow in respect to salvation, grow in sanctification. Jesus will pray for our sanctification in verse 26. I have made your name known to them and I will make it known. He's praying for us to grow in Christ. But that is not what Jesus is praying for here in verse 17. Growing in holiness is not what the word sanctify means here. And we know that because of what Jesus says in verse 19. He says, for their sakes, I sanctify, same word. I sanctify myself. And we know what Jesus is not praying for there. He's not praying that he become more holy and less sinful. Right, he's a spotless, sinless lamb of God. So what is Jesus praying for? What does he mean by sanctify here? Sanctify them. Well, at its most basic level, the word sanctify means to set apart, to set apart, to separate, to consecrate, to commit or dedicate something or someone to a particular purpose. So think of the Old Testament animals were sanctified. They were set apart in order to be sacrificed. Priests were sanctified, consecrated to perform priestly tasks. Vessels within the temple were sanctified, dedicated for certain use. That's the way Jesus is using the word sanctify here. Here's the prayer. Father, dedicate these men, 
consecrate my people, set them apart in, in the realm of the truth. Consecrate them to the gospel. Dedicate them to the only truth that saves. Let's put it in a common prayer today. Father, protect their doctrine. Cause them to cling to me and rest only in me and never let me go. Keep them from all the damning lies, the opposite of truth, all the damning lies and all of the false gospels that run amok in this world. They're all promoted, concocted by Satan, the father of what? The father of lies. Keep them in my truth, your truth. And what is this truth? Your word, your gospel, your message is truth. Connect this back to verse 14. Jesus says, I have given them your word. Your word is truth. I have given them your word. That's what shattered this evil world system's hold on us. It's the Father's word. It's the gospel of salvation. That's he sent Christ to save. And Christ gives us the Father's truth, the Father's word. He opens up our minds to see it and love it and obey it. And now Jesus prays in verse 17 for the Father to keep us committed to it, consecrated to it, dedicated to that one gospel. This is Jesus praying for the perseverance of our faith. So in verses 11 through 15, Jesus prayed for the Father to preserve our faith. Well, now he prays that we would persevere in the faith, that we would continue to believe until the end, never letting go of Christ and his word of truth. Sanctify them, set them apart, dedicate them to the body of truth that is the gospel. Now, it begs the question, what is the word what is the word Jesus is praying for us to be consecrated and committed to? What is the truth Jesus is asking his father to dedicate us to? Let's ask it this way. What is the only gospel that saves? The only truth that saves? What is that? What are we to cling to? Well, it's the word, it's the message that we have heard proclaimed throughout this book. Remember what John writes at the end of the book, I have written these things that you might believe. I've given you the gospel message throughout these chapters. Cling to this. What have we heard? What is this truth? Number one, it is the message of the sinfulness of man. It's the message of the sinfulness of man that every person enters this world as a sinner before a holy God. That's where the good news begins. It begins with the bad news of who we are. We heard this in John 1. Christ came to take away the sin of the world. No one falls outside of that category of sinner and sinful. 
This is what Jesus said in John 3, light has come into the world and men, every single person, love the darkness. We loved our sin rather than the light for their deeds were evil. We loved our evil, our actions were evil. Say, well, that's just not kind. You can't talk about sin. Well, this is what Jesus told the Samaritan woman in John chapter four. Jesus said, you have had five husbands. That's where he begins. This is why the world hates us, John 7, 7, because we testify that the deeds are what? Are evil. So the gospel requires us to recognize and confess our sinfulness, our evil before a holy God. That's part of the truth. Number two, the truth that saves is also the message of grace. The message of grace that salvation is granted to the sinner, not because it is earned or worked for or achieved by any human effort. That's what Jesus told Nicodemus. He was that moralistic Pharisee. He obeyed the law. If there's anyone in the kingdom, it's him. And yet, what is Jesus' message to Nicodemus? He says, unless one, unless you are born again, born from above by grace from God, based upon nothing good within you, no obedience to the law, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. You cannot enter the kingdom of God. God saves because of grace, not because of effort. We're told this back in John 1, to them he gives the right to become children of God. To who? Who has bestowed this right to call God Father? Here's who. To those who believe in his name. This is the gospel of salvation by grace alone through faith alone. It's the message we cling to. It's the message we proclaim. Number three, Christ prays that we would cling to the message of Christ, of his incarnation. That he's fully man. He represents us before God, that he's fully God. He's able to exhaust God's anger against sin. It's the message of his exclusivity. We cling to the truth that there is no other savior from sin. There's no other son sent by the father. There's no other sacrifice that can pay for our sin. And we cling to that because that was Jesus's message. Unless you believe that I am, unless you believe that I share the same name as God, God in human flesh, you will die in your sin. You must believe that. Jesus' message in John 14, I am the way. I'm the only way. I'm the only truth. I'm the only life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Number four, Jesus prays that we would cling to the message of Christ's cross. He's praying here in John 17 that we would cling to the message of his cross, that he is the lamb of God who pays for sin. This was his message. 
Think of John 3. Jesus says, the son of man must be lifted up on the cross. John 12, the only hope for mankind is if Jesus is lifted up from the earth on the cross. It's only on the cross where sin can be paid for on behalf of others. Cling to the cross. Then number five, Jesus prays that we would cling to the message of resurrection, to the message of resurrection, that Jesus did not stay in the tomb. He rose again from the dead. He shows his victory over sin and Satan and death. He shows that the father accepted his sacrifice. Again, this was Jesus's message. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Just as he is resurrected from the dead, so too will we be resurrected from the dead. That's our hope. So Jesus says, preserve them in that truth. Dedicate them to that truth. They must cling to it, never let it go. And the reason why Jesus prays that prayer for our perseverance, our dedication to that gospel, the reason why he prays for this is because everything this evil world system promotes, everything contradicts that gospel. Everything. And tempts us to let go of that belief, our belief in that gospel, or at least to water it down. To water it down, make it less offensive, more palatable. And this is what we see happening today. We see these temptations all around us. We have an evil world system that has redefined the nature of sin. Redefined the nature of sin. Right now, the world calls sin an offense against a community. If you offend the community, that's sin. So the standard is no longer a holy God, the standard is a group of people, and it's their feelings. So why our society is able to define homosexuality as something other than sin? Because here's the claim. The claim is that that sin or that act does not hurt the community. It's good for the community. It doesn't offend the community. Therefore, it can't be sin. It's virtue. It should be applauded. We're living in a world that promotes salvation through human efforts daily bombarding us with the message that we are good enough. We are good enough and valuable enough. And if you don't believe that, go to Barnes and Noble, the self-help section in Barnes and Noble. You are good enough and you are valuable enough to appease God's standard, if he even has a standard. It's a false gospel of self-esteem, of self-worth. And it undercuts God's gospel of grace. It's no longer grace. You deserve salvation. Our world tells us that there are many paths that lead to heaven. This is the gospel of inclusivity. And if you are bold enough to claim an exclusive gospel, you're just arrogant. And you are proud. And you are unloving. 
The world tells us that there is no need for a cross. That idea is too cruel of a thought. It's too unnecessary. Why? Because God is too loving to ever punish you. He's too loving. Love wins. And then our world tells us to live for the moment, right? To indulge for the day, to be satisfied with this temporal world rather than living for the resurrection. Live for now. Everything is about now. And you could add many other examples to this list. Each is a temptation to let go of our exclusive and dedicated hold of the only truth that saves. It's all around us. These temptations make Jesus's prayer needed for us. Verse 17, sanctify them. We need that prayer. Sanctify them, commit them, set them apart, consecrate them in that realm of truth, the doctrine that is the truth that saves. And we need that prayer not only because our eternal life depends upon our clinging to this gospel, but because of the second request Jesus is going to offer here. We need the prayer, sanctify them in the truth, because that is the truth this fallen world needs to hear from us. That's the message we must proclaim. Here's the second request. Request number two, Jesus also prays for our gospel proclamation. He also prays for our gospel proclamation. Here's verse 18. As you sent me into the world, just as you, Father, sent me from heaven to earth on a saving mission, I also have a mission for my people. And that mission is this. I am going to, and I have sent them into that same hostile, gospel-hating world. I'm sending them into that world. I don't take them out of the world. Verse 15, I send them into the world. That word sent here that Jesus uses. It's used throughout the New Testament for being officially sent to speak on behalf of God or on behalf of Christ. You can see the flow in this book. In John 1, that word is used for John the Baptist. John the Baptist was sent to proclaim Christ as the Lamb of God. And now in chapter 17, we are sent into the world. In Mark 3, we are told that Jesus sends his apostles to preach. And now in John 17, he sends us into the world. This is a commissioning prayer, commissioning us to this purpose. You might say, well, that's, that's the apostles. He's sending them into the world. It's not me. I'm off the hook. Well, whenever you think that, just keep reading the Bible. Look at verse 20. This is also a commissioning prayer for us. I do not ask on behalf of these alone. I'm not only sending the 12, but for those also who believe in me through their word. That's us. 
This is why Paul can write this, we are ambassadors for Christ. That is our commission. We are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal. That's what it means to be sent, officially sent to speak on behalf of God or on behalf of Christ. That's what Paul says is our calling. And thus we beg you, Paul says, we beg you, we call the sinner to believe the only truth that saves. We beg you on behalf of Christ. We're sent by Christ, we speak for Christ. And what is our message? Be reconciled. Be reconciled. Recognize your sinfulness. Recognize that barrier between you and holy God. Be reconciled through Christ's cross, through his sacrifice, because of grace alone, through faith alone. We beg you, be reconciled to God. So that's our commission. That's what Jesus is praying for here in verse 17 and 18. I'm sending them into this hostile world. And when they go into this world, they must not circle the Christian wagons and only be a part of Christian circles. And I'm sending them with the truth. I'm not sending them for political reform. That's not the purpose. I'm not sending them for any social issues. That's not our calling. I send them into the world so that they can proclaim the only truth that saves. And so let me ask you, are you living as Christ's sent one? Are you living as Christ's sent one? Have you applied Christ's prayer of gospel dedication? This prayer here, have you applied Christ's prayer for gospel dedication and applied it for a life of gospel proclamation? It's not just what the preacher does. We are ambassadors for Christ. Let's pose the question this way. Have you explained the gospel to the unbelievers the Lord has placed in your life? Let's come up with three names, three names of unbelievers that the Lord has placed in your life and ask yourself, have you explained the gospel to them? Have they heard the gospel from you? And if they haven't, then ask the question, why not? Why not? And it could be because of fear, right? Fear. That's the case. Look back at verses 11 through 15. And remember that Jesus has prayed for your eternal security. You need fear nothing and no one. Or maybe it's because of apathy, just apathetic to this calling. Well, if that's the case, remind yourselves of this passage here that Christ is praying for your gospel commission for you. Note the parallel in verse 18. Verse 18, as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. The parallel is this, Christ's commitment to his gospel mission, Christ's commitment to his own cross, his own death, is the model for our gospel mission. As you sent me, I send them. 
His dedication to his mission is to be our dedication to our mission of proclamation. Just as he suffered to save, we too must be willing to suffer to testify. Just as he was humiliated to redeem, we too must be willing to be humiliated to proclaim. As the Father sends me, I send them. Or how about this? Just as he left the glories of heaven to die in the place of sinners, we too must be willing to leave the safety of our own Christian circles to proclaim his saving message. And if you need more motivation to devote yourself to this gospel mission, notice verse 19. Jesus adds this. For their sakes, I sanctify, I dedicate, I consecrate myself to my cross. For their sakes, I sanctify myself. Why? Finish the verse. That they themselves, that we, that they themselves also may be sanctified in, dedicated to their task of proclaiming the truth. Here's Christ, just moments before his arrest, he is dedicating himself to death so that we would be dedicated to proclaiming eternal life. I commit myself, Jesus says, I commit myself to enduring God's wrath so that my people can proclaim God's saving grace. I dedicate myself to experiencing hell on the cross so that my people will will proclaim the hope of heaven in this world. It is true. Christ died to save sinners. That is true. We'll celebrate it in just a moment. But feel the weight of Jesus' words in verse 19. Christ also died so that we would proclaim him. For their sakes, I sanctify myself that they themselves also may be sanctified in the truth, to proclaim the truth. He dies so that we would proclaim him. And that is what we must do when we leave these church walls. That is why Jesus says, I do not ask you to take them out of the world. No, because I'm sending them into the world. This is Christ's second request he brings before his father on our behalf. Because our faith is eternally secure, request number one, because our faith is eternally secure, he sends us into this hostile world to proclaim his gospel unafraid, unafraid of the consequences. It's request number two. And yet it leads into request number three. I'll just mention it here. Look at verse 21. The third request that Jesus offers, verse 21, he's praying that they may all be one. He's praying for our unity. Why? So that the world may believe that you sent me. Here's what Jesus prays here. He says, I'm not sending you into the world alone. I'm sending my people into the world together. We need one another. 
I'm sending them into the world together to testify as one body. I pray that they will be one so that their mission will be accomplished so that the world may believe that you sent me. We are not meant to witness alone or in isolation from one another, but we carry out Jesus' second prayer together. And that is where we'll pick it up next week. Father, you have given us a tremendous task because Jesus has prayed a tremendous prayer. And Lord, as we consider our calling, no doubt, by your spirit, we are convicted. We have not fulfilled this calling as we must. We know that. We have not proclaimed the gospel like we ought to do. We've heard the false gospels of our day. Far too often we've lived for the moment, for the temporal. Far too often we've lived in fear. Remind us of this prayer from Christ as he is interceding for us right now. And cause us to cling to your word, but then speak it. We pray that your spirit would be at work to bring that needed conviction and regeneration and conversion through our testimony. Pray this in Christ's name, amen.